Welcome to Inside the Pressure Cooker, where cooks and chefs share their stories of life inside the kitchen. Literally the entirety of this book spans over like two or three years. It's like, I don't think there's an age, like I don't think there's a number of years that you have to be in order to write one. Like if you feel like you have a story from your life, like it could be a story about your childhood or something like I, it, I don't think that it matters what age you are. Everyone has something to say as long as you're recognizing, you know, I think it'd be different if I came into this like, okay, like I wrote this at 23, look at me, I'm so great and everyone learned from me. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I'm recounting stories in real life situations that happened at my very first leadership job. And so I'm just gonna tell, I'm just gonna tell my story. And so writing a book at the age of 23, well not writing it at 23, but publishing it at the age of 23, I can tell you one thing. I don't know if you wanted to read my book at 23, uh, but she's got such relatable experiences and uh, she does a fantastic job. And make sure you head over to our website, ladylinecook.com. And uh, there's a, a tab there. It's called Buy the Book. Buy it. Help support fellow chefs and read it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an easy read. Uh, it's very relatable. Uh, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm sure you will too. So we got the lady line cook here. Uh, so 30 second elevator pitch. Who, who are you, chef? All right. My name is Hannah Lee Souza, but I feel like most people know me as lady line cook on Instagram. Um, I am a sous chef in real life and on the side I make funny videos about working in a kitchen and I just talk about kitchen life. I also published a kitchen memoir last year, which just talks about my experience working in um, both kitchens and also a couple chapters on my experience in the ski industry. But the overall theme of the book is like me learning leadership in these different workplaces. Um, the title is Nice Work Boys because I was always the only woman at my workplace and people would always say nice work boys. And that was just like the theme of my life. But the book is really for everyone, um, especially young leaders in um, kitchens and in other workplaces. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I, I read through the book as well. And, and you're right. It's when it comes to leadership, um, everybody has their own obstacles that they've kind of have yeah. to kind of overcome and their challenges, but there's also so much of it is universal. Yeah. And that's what I kind of talk about where, I feel like I had I in that um, when I had that conversation in the book about with the other young guy. This was in the ski the ski resort. I know you read that chapter. I think it was chapter four or five. Um, yep. But yeah, yeah. Where we talk about where we talk about like he was having struggles too, or like people weren't listening to him, and he was like, "Oh, this is so hard." And I was just like, oh, "Okay, so it's not sexism. It's not because I'm a woman. They're not listening to me. Like literally, people just." People just don't like to do what they're, what they're told. So I that was kind of like a big learning experience for me at like at that ski resort job when I was 21 and trying to lead this department of 30 men and me. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's always interesting that transition from and they will they'd say it too and and you've experienced this so you can testify to it. But the hardest transition is going from uh, just a line level position, you know, um, into any kind of leadership oh, yeah. role. Because at that point, you know, people that you were buddy, buddy with now, all of a sudden 
they they've got a problem with you and they're going to look for buttons to push. Hey, you know what? How far can I get go with this? Uh, and they are going to test you. Um, and it's, and it takes some time and it's one of those, the respect you thought you had. Um, it, I mean, it's still there, but once you get into a leadership, it's uh, so many people look at you and just like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest transition for me was, you're not just responsible for your own job. You're responsible for other people's jobs. And if they screw up, that's on you. That was the biggest, hardest transition for me. No, I understand that completely. And I mean, you also kind of talk about a little bit of burnout. And I, I don't remember if that was in your book or on your website. Yeah, yeah that was in my book. Because I actually, I talk about it like a couple different times. Because I kind of go through, I would go through these like phases. <laughs> Well, the one I'm I'm remembering was like it, some of that burnout was because you decided that you needed to do it all yourself. Yeah. Rather than delegate. Yeah, absolutely. That was the biggest learning curve for me. I think now I definitely have more of a hang of it. Um, but that for me, like when I'm first promoted, I think at both jobs, I felt this way, like in the kitchen and at the ski resort, um, I would try to like prove that I'm capable of doing everything because I, I felt like that was necessary mm -hmm. to earn their respect, especially like as the only woman and with all these guys, I'm like, well, I got to show them that like, that I can like do more than all of them physically and everything in every aspect. Right. And so I would just do like everything. But then what I realized is like human beings like physically can't do that. doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> so you end up just kind of like half doing a bunch of things and not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a huge learning curve, which I, I literally feel like in the past like couple months I've gotten the hang of, like literally even after, after the book came out, I think when the book was published last year, um, I still hadn't like gotten the hang of it. And I, it was still something that I was like in the thick, in the middle of learning. And now I'm, I think I'm at the point where I'm beginning to grasp that concept after like basically a year and a half of being the sous chef at this place. So. Yeah, that's definitely a huge learning curve. So I'm like, learn it from me. Don't learn it. <laughs> Don't learn it the hard way. Well, honestly, I think everybody kind of has to learn it the hard way. I think way so too, because... because, you know, when I first started leading, you know, my, my chef would be like, you got to delegate stuff. You can just do it all. But of course I'd be like, well, no, but I'm different. I can do it all. <laughs> but then, you know. Yeah, I get it because I had a, a very similar situation um, where you know, as a Sioux at a place, I was in Indiana at the time and uh, I had everybody delegated working on different things. Yeah. And I, 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 there was still stuff on the yeah. list and I needed to be doing something. So I started working on one of the specials we were doing and I was just small dicing up just a ton of just, uh, uh, white onions, um, for doing, a like a sofrito, more of a Spanish style yeah. sofrito. And he came around the corner and just saw me dicing onions and just one off, yeah. you know, about just me delegating. It's like, everybody else is supposed to be working that year, bringing it together. And all I could think of was like, but they're all yeah. working. No, like, I feel know? exactly the same way. Like I went through, I think I wrote about this, but about how like I was peeling potatoes and chef was like, why are you peeling potatoes? There's literally 10 other people in this mm -hmm. kitchen. <laughs> and I'm just like, 
I feel bad. It was like this power complex of like, I'm not asking someone else to peel my potatoes for my station that I'm going to work tonight. Like, but then I've, you know, right. I've learned that like these people want hours, you know, and they want to feel like they're helping out and they happily, now they happily peel my potatoes like before I even come into my night shift. So. Right. Yeah. No, it, because it's that you, in the beginning, you probably feel like you're pawning work. Off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah, no, leadership is definitely an interesting thing and learning it. And, you know, the biggest challenge I had as well was learning to delegate and work with the different personalities. Yeah, absolutely. That too. So, I mean, between like a ski resort and and in, in some ways, it's almost like working on the ski resort kind of prepped you for the kitchen because- It absolutely did. I feel like that was kind of the- the whole theme of the book was like, I just picked up yeah. where I had left off there. But yeah, I mean, it's, you've kind of got that misfit group. Yeah. Right. For sure. And, yeah. and just kind of learning to, to, to work together. So, uh, kitchens in general are always kind of that eclectic mix of people. Yeah. But that's why I love it, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's honestly why I decided to kind of kick this, um, uh, this podcast off was just to kind of start talking to people and learning everybody's stories because everybody's got such an amazing story. Uh, I mean, it's just fun to hear everybody. So the book, we kind of go through some of that leadership, um, you know, and you wrote this book when you were what, 22, 23, 23. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I acknowledge that. Yeah. I acknowledge that kind of in the afterward where I'm like, I wrote this when I was 23 and do not, t- <laughs> I have like basically saying that, like, I acknowledge that this book is just literally the beginning um, and how this book like recounts the very beginning of me learning. Like, I'm not going to pretend that this book is like your guide to leadership from an expert. <laughs> like, absolutely not. It's more just like stories and lessons that I learned um, and like personal growth and stuff. Um and just talking about my kind of experience and recognizing that, yeah, I, I wrote this, uh, and there were a couple people who were telling me like not to publish it. And they were just like random people. Cause I'd be on these Facebook groups and stuff where we would find like a lot of writers. They like share their work with each other and edit each other's books. I actually did that with a couple different people, which was cool. Um, but there were a couple people who are like, you should like memoirs. You have to be over 40 to write a memoir. And like, and like, um, you have to have like, no one's going to read it. Like, why would anyone read a memoir by someone at that age? <laughs> like, and I'm like, you know, what? a memoir is a slice of life. It's not an autobiography, which is your uh, autobiography is an entire life. You write that at like the end of your life, which I'm like, how do you know the end of your life? Like, <laughs> you don't, no one knows the, when the end of their life is. So like, why would you wait? <laughs> but I'm like, uh, I'm like a memoir is a slice of life and literally the entirety of this book spans over like two or three years. So it's like, it's like, I don't think there's an age, like, I don't think there's a number of years that you have to be in order to write one. Like if you feel like you have a story from your life, like it could be a story about your childhood or something like that. I, I don't think that it matters what age you are. It's not like everyone has something to say as long as you're recognizing you know, I think it'd be different if I came into this, like, okay, like I wrote this at 23, look at me, I'm so great. And everyone learned from me. I'm like, no, I, I'm recounting stories and real life 
situations that happened at my very first leadership job. And so I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell my story. No. Yeah. I mean, the book itself is very, I guess the best way to put it for me, it was very humbling and very relatable, <clears throat> you know? So, and I mean, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's, it's a slice of time. And, you know, for me, the impressive part is, man, at 23, I, I barely knew what I was doing. I knew I was cooking and I was, <laughs> but when it came to anything else, like the concept of like writing a book, oh, no way. I, I was too busy just making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Well, I feel like that was me too. Like I was still making a lot of mistakes and like figuring out like, I think back to, like, where I was at the end of that book time-wise, which is, like, the end of the book ends, I think, September 2020 is, like, the last chapter, like, in my life when it's happening. And I was like, man, I thought I had, like, learned how to lead. And I'm like, I didn't know anything. <laughs> but at least I recognized that in the book of, like, oh, this book is just the beginning. But I'm like, I could write another book of all the things that I've learned since then. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah, it's I don't know. It's really cool though. I think I think it is universal though and I did I did want it to be relatable to people of that age. Like a lot of people, especially a lot of my following, they're all like in their 20s and early 30s. Um that's kind of my biggest age group. And so I feel like they would rather listen to someone who's like still in the thick of it. Um and still processing like what they're actively still going and learning or going through and learning. Absolutely. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. So what's next for you then? I mean, you got another book in the, in the queue or. I don't. I, I mean, it's funny. I thought, I thought I would like right away, but I, I don't think I've written a single word since, since it came out last year, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of still mainly focusing on like marketing that book and trying to get that out into the world still. Um, well, it is out in the world, but just trying to like get it into more people's hands. Um, so I haven't like done any writing since then. I think my creative outlet has turned into more videos. So I'm making a ton of videos now. Um, that's kind of my main creative outlet. I feel like you go through seasons of life. Um, I feel like you have a capacity for creativity and I'm not going to be here doing like everything at once. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, last year my focus was the book and that was my thing. And this year I'm focusing on videos. So it's like, you know, it's a different creative outlet. Yeah, no, I, I love the videos that you post too on, on your Instagram page. Um, yeah, the last one uh, you put up with the printer, you started, it, it was so funny. I could hear the <laughs> kitchen printer and it I was know, like, right? oh man. Yeah. I, but it's, it's universal. It, it still haunts me. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I just will never forget. Like there's times going home after just busy nights and just laying there and just hearing the printer in my head. I know, right? <laughs> and just unable to sleep because all I could hear was just like, there's that thing just clicking off. And I was just like. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone that hasn't followed you needs to be following you as well. There's there's a lot of great videos in there that, that are fun, relatable. Um and it's just, I, I like how you kind of poke fun at uh, just, I don't know, uh, some of the stigmas. Just the everyday and, or the everyday. Yeah. <laughs> the, the everyday, everyday things stuff. that all line cooks go through. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, that's what it says on my bio. It's like poking fun of our crazy life as life as cooks. And I'm just like, that's what I do is poke fun of us. But 
I'm like, I'm poking fun. I'm not poking fun of anyone in particular. I'm just poking fun of us, <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Yo, we've all been, we've all made the same mistakes. We've yeah, all done the same exactly. things. Um, you know, so we all don't have the ability to put that into words or any other creative form though at times. So I think you capture that pretty well. Yeah. It's fun too. Cause it's like, it'll happen at work. Like every, everything I, every video I make is like inspired by work. So it's like something will happen and then I'll like bake a funny video about it. And then like all these people have been through exactly the same thing. I'm going to jump into your, your uh, lady line cook website here. And uh, one of your more recent posts here was 20 thing, 25 things I've learned in 25 years. Yeah. And you've got a couple, obviously you've got 25 bullet points here, but in, in a lot of them I get um, in, trust me, I'm 45 now. And one of these uh, you've got on here is goals change. And yeah, that's a huge it one. is a hundred percent. Okay. You know, as you grow and as you learn and it, it, it's okay if the door closes or yeah. if yeah. your perspective changes, right? Absolutely. So it's not defeat, it's growth. Yeah. Um, and so just learning to recognize that I think is is important for people because uh, once you once I read that on your page, I was like, man, that's a great point because so many people don't really see it that way. Yeah, I always have a hard time making long-term goals because it's funny every time i do ask me anything question box on instagram every time i get like uh what's your long-term plan it do you want to be in the industry forever do you want to own a restaurant all these stuff and i always answer those as like seasons of life change like i think i did one the other day where i was like five years ago i didn't even work at restaurants i cooked at home and i literally thought i don't want to cook for a living because then i'm going to hate it uh, and so I'm never going to cook for a living. That was me five years ago. And now I'm like, I could say that five years from now, I want to own a restaurant. Like that's not completely out of the books. Like I could, that could happen. I see that maybe happening, but I'm also like, you know, you never know what your goals and aspirations are going to be in five years. Like all that matters is that you have them and you have, you're progressing in different ways, you know? Yeah. The question, where are you going to be in five years? I've always been like, dude, I don't know where I'm going to be tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know my schedule for next week. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's literally, yeah. I just So the resort management degree yeah. right, is kind of yeah. your focus. And, you know, you're, you're living the life kind of a ski bum, if you will, or snowboard. Yeah. And, and then you end up in restaurants and it turned out to be just kind of a side hustle almost. At um, first it was, you know, some yeah. extra cash. And then it, it transitioned into obviously something much more. I mean, yeah. you want to touch base or, or kind of tell me what what was the day that light bulb hit you? It was like a culmination of things, but I would say it was the summer of 2019, which was my, so my first year in restaurants was 2018. So I did like winter at a ski resort then a summer at the little mom and pop restaurant. And I was like, okay, I like this, but I'm going to go back to the ski resort for the winter. And so I did that. And then that was 2019 winter. And then 2019 summer, I literally said, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to switch restaurants. I'm going to move from the little mom and pop one. I literally picked the busiest restaurant in my town. I was like, which restaurant am I going to get my ass kicked every day? I'm going to pick that restaurant. And, um, I'm just going to decide if this is for me. Um, and part of me inside was like, no, I'm going to get my ass kicked and I'm going to realize this isn't for me. Like that was literally 
I was like, that's very likely going to happen. <laughs> and so I went there. The line was always out the door. They were always slammed. They were always busy. And so I started there as a line cook. Um, and I was basically, I was like, this summer I need to decide if I'm going to stay here for the winter or if I'm going to go back. To, and I was like, I was actually pretty sure that I was going to go back to the ski resort. I remember saying that I was like, yeah, I'm going to work here for the summer and then I'm going to go back to the ski resort. Um, and then three years later, I'm the sous chef at that restaurant. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was that summer. Right. I was going to say you almost went into it looking for a reason to not be in it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because I kind of felt attached to the ski industry because I had spent two years there and I literally the winter before is when I got my promotion, but I only got my promotion in March and I had only been a supervisor for like two months, basically. Uh, and I kind of even like took the promotion as like, okay, I'm going to take the promotion at the end of this season. And then next season is really going to be like, I'm going to spend a whole year as a supervisor in the ski industry. Um, and I'm going to learn a ton more. And so part of, part of my decision that I had to consider was like, okay, do I want to like try to get leadership experience? Cause that was kind of my main goal is like, I want to have leadership experience. So I was like, I could have this guaranteed leadership experience at the ski resort. Um, or I could stay at the kitchen and, and hope that it happens. Um, and I definitely saw potential at this place that I was working at. Um, and then, so that summer I basically just got my ass kicked for an entire summer. <laughs> and then at the end I was like, I see potential, like I see opportunity to lead. I see opportunity to continue learning. Um, now I'm the sous chef there. So I guess that did happen. Let me ask you this. You, you took your different path, right? You were looking for a reason not yeah. to be in the industry and the, you got bit by the bug, right? And yeah, I know, right? You quickly learned that it was kind of part of your DNA. Um, yeah. It, it is, there's something about restaurants and people that thrive in restaurants and crave restaurants like you do that to a normal person, you look at them and you're like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, why, why, what about that is appealing? And, um, and I, I get it, you know, it's everything, right? And the, the most people, it's like, there's, there's nothing about that that is, that excites me, whether it's the hours, the pay, the, I mean, the sacrifice, the, yeah, I just the intensity in in so many ways a very thankless job. Yeah. Um it but it's one of those once you're in it, you you can't get out because it's just you don't want to. Yeah. Um and but so you you're kind of growing, obviously. And now you're a Sue. Um really your next step would be whether it's an exec Sue or an exec or leading your own kitchen yeah. somewhere else from where you're at has imposter syndrome ever kind of kicked into you where you as I know a lot of people think that to be a chef, you have to go to a culinary school and you have to go like these French, you, there's like a specific path you're supposed to take. Um, but there really isn't a, a path. Um, so is that something you've ever fought with? Oh yeah, I mean, you see my bio. It says case case study for imposter syndrome <laughs> because I do talk about it a lot too on my page. But um, I feel like it's gotten better in the past year. 
But my first, the worst, I think the worst times for me was when I first got promoted at the ski resort job. I was just like, I should not be doing this. I was the youngest. I was the only woman. I was like diversity hire. I'm, they obviously only picked me because of that. Like I definitely am not supposed to be here. <laughs> and then I talk about this in my book too, where I had this whole moment where my boss like sat me down and was like, no, we picked you because you're the right person for this job. It has nothing to do with any of that. Um, and then again, when I first started leading at my uh, kitchen where I'm the sous chef now, so I got promoted last month. So this is pretty recent, but I started having sous chef duties about a year and a half before that. Um, they the way they kind of work is they kind of like slowly ease me into the role, and then I had to, I had to spend a year like leading and basically pretending I was the sous chef for about a year um, and learning to gain those people's respect without a title. And I would get hourly pay raises, so it was still pretty fair. Um, but like the hardest part was like learning to lead people without a title because I think a lot of people kind of depend on their title and are kind of like, you have to listen to me because I'm your boss and there will be consequences if you don't versus I had to earn that like organic, genuine respect from people where it's like, okay, I know that I don't have a title, uh, but like, you know, chef was giving me all these responsibilities and saying like, okay, now you're responsible for training people. You're responsible for making sure that the food goes out right. If you see something wrong, you have to call them out and all this stuff. Um, when there was never this big announcement of like, all right, everyone listen to Hanalei. She's in charge. There was never that ever. Even when I got promoted last month, there was not that. Um, but honestly, the, the promotion last month was like so natural and it's like nothing really changed. Um, besides my pay structure and getting some benefits. But in terms of my actual day-to-day job, I'm like, nothing really changed that much. Like there are a couple subtle changes, but like everything else pretty much stayed the same because I'd spent a year easing into this role. But I went through like a year, basically like all of 2021 and like the beginning of this year was like, I was like in the weeds with imposter syndrome. Like I would literally be like, and I would post about it too, which was cool. Cause I got to see like other people being like, yo, you're not alone. <laughs> like we all feel this way, but I would feel like I had no business being in charge of the biggest and busiest restaurant kitchen in my town, like a zero business doing that. Like I had no training. I'd barely been working there. Like a I think I'd been working there like a year and a half when I kind of started this process of becoming sous chef. And I was kind of like, why did they pick me? Or like, my biggest thought was like, the only reason they picked me is because I just show up and I was in the right place at the right time. And I, I kept showing up and I'm not even that good at this. Like, but I'm the only one who was willing to step up because I feel like the other people I worked with were good line cooks, but none of them had interest in leadership. Like some people have been there years and years, but they were just like, I'm a line cook. I'm not interested in leading people. Um, and I was literally the only person who like showed interest. And so I was like, oh, they're picking me because I'm like their only hope. <laughs> like, and that was kind of my thought process for like over a year. And I remember this moment where like, like I had, or I kind of, when I realized that I was in like a decision making role and they, they talked to me and they're like, we put you in this position because we trust you to make decisions and to run the kitchen. Like my days off and the executive chef's days off were stacked so that I was the chef 
when he was gone or when he was on his day off or vacation or whatever. And so like, I went through this whole moment where he had to be like, no, like we put you in this role because we trust you to make decisions on your own. And that was kind of like a big aha moment for me. Cause I was like, okay, so I'm not just paid to not think and work tickets. Like, um, okay. <laughs> like it's actually kind of scary. Cause I'm like, okay, like I have to like, I'm paid to make decisions now. And a lot of that um, was learning to like, not just make them on my own, but to talk to other managers too, which was another huge learning curve for me. Um, where it's kind of like, no, like you should definitely be making decisions, not in a vacuum, like with use the other managers, use the other cooks, but you, at the end of the day, like you're also making decisions yeah. in your role. Yeah. You use the collective mind um, Absolutely. to make the educated decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know why this just came up. So this is a good one. Um, someone had told me this one when it comes to doing like orders. Yeah. Right? Just whether it's a broad line produce, protein, whatever it happens to be. Like there's a term called SWAG, S-W-A-G. And it stands for scientific wild ass guess. Yes. I love that. That's and, you know, so you, much of my job. You, yeah, you've got data points that will give you a rough guideline. Yeah. To know like, hey, you know what? It's I've got somewhere between here and here that I need to be in. But yeah. there's so much of how the public like you, we've all been there where someone just starts ordering I I don't know, the the shrimps can't be or something. And it just goes off on a run and you're that like, was, what is going on here? Like that was literally last what? week. Cause we're in a slow season. And so we don't prep that much cause we don't want to over prep and we want everything to be fresh. And so right. there was this last Wednesday, it was slow. Like we barely did any covers, but we sold so much of this one fish dish that is usually, we usually don't sell that dish. It's like our, one of our least sellers. And we sold <laughs> I remember thinking like, okay, I worked through busy season on Saturday nights and we sold maybe 10 of this dish. And on that Wednesday, we sold like 15. <laughs> it was like right. at one point, it was the only thing on the board. The worst part is that now puts more doubt in you for next I time. I know, right? And then you end up over prepping like, oh. and then stuff goes bad. Stuff You got to throw stuff away. Outside of a chef knife, what is your number one tool? So I'm, I'm all for like minimal, minimalistic kits. Like my kit that I bring to work every day is like three knives and a honing steel. That's pretty much it. So I have my chef knife, obviously, like if you're going to get one knife, I always tell people like, if you have $200, don't get a block of knives, get one eight inch or 10 inch chef knife. If you have a budget, like just get that, that does most things. But I also, I do a lot of butchering. So I have like a fillet, a six inch fillet boning knife, which is really good. I specifically bought it to do filet and it's just the best, the best thing to use. Um, and then I have a right. 12 inch butcher knife cause we also do ribeyes and whole sides of salmon. So I'm like, I skin the salmons, I cut ribeyes, I cut the prime rib and then everything else is with the eight inch chef knife. Yeah. I don't carry anything else around. Um, I don't do tweezers. <laughs> I don't do <laughs> any of the fancy stuff. I think that's a different genre. Like I'm not here to hate on tweezers. Yep. Like it's a different genre of food and where I work, we just don't use them. I feel like a lot of people either hate them or love them. And I'm like, there's different genres of food and some people need them and other people don't. I just, I think it's kind of like 
people think of that kid from culinary school who comes into their fast casual restaurant with their tweezers and they use their tweezers for everything when it's like a cheeseburger, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny, but I'm like, I've never used them. So I don't have them, but that's it. <laughs> I, it's I three knives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know to pair either because all the restaurants I've been a part of, it's like, man, we don't have time for tweezers, dude. I know, right? You know, but then there's, if you need there that is, individual grain yeah. of something, then yeah. you're in the wrong spot. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so speaking of genres, though, like, are there any styles of genres that inspire you? Like, as you're growing and learning, um, what what inspires you? What uh, where do you go for when you kind of are start looking for some other creative elements? I think for me, the biggest inspiration with food has, I, I've done a bit of traveling. I actually haven't traveled a ton in the past couple of years, just with COVID, but pre COVID, like I went, my whole family is from Europe. So we would go to England, we would go to France. Um, and we would, and then, um, I went to the Caribbean and I went to Israel and like my favorite thing when I travel, it's I go to the farmer's market because what I love about the farmer's market in other countries is like, I feel in America, a farmer's market is this bougie specialty expensive like only the yoga moms and their yoga pants and and stay at home all day while their husband owns a multi-million dollar construction business and I'm, I know I'm getting very specific here but I'm like that's what I feel about farmers markets <laughs> in the US is like they're bougie like you're and and you're not going to find everything that you need like you can't only shop at the farmers market you have you go to the farmers market for like a couple vegetables overpriced vegetables and like I go there for meat. That's literally the only reason I go to the farmer's market is like I buy meat directly from the farmer. So I bought a lamb and a mm -hmm. portion of a cow recently, which is really cool. I have a big freezer and I just love buying directly from the farmer. But like in other countries, going to the farmer's market, there's nothing special. Like that's literally just how they buy food. Like that's just how they do food. They they use what's in season. They buy it directly from the farmer. You can go to the farmer's market and that can be like the only place that you shop. You can go there. You can get everything you need and buy lunch and buy a gift for you, for your mom's birthday. Or like you can get everything. And and it, there's nothing special or bougie about it. It's like, it's just how. It's just everyday life. Life. It's just how you do food. It's always there. And, you know, where I live, it's like Tuesday from 8 to 10 a.m. And that's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, in other countries, it's just there all the time. Like you can just go to the farmer's market and it's all like, and I feel like in America, farm to table, right? is this huge thing and, and, um, grass fed beef and pastured cream and pastured this and, and organic that. And in other countries, you're not going to find those labels. Like you go to the middle of, of like of France or of middle of Israel or any of these other places that I've been, and you're not going to find grass-fed beef. You're not going to find organic anything because that's just, to them, that's just food. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, cows eat grass. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing earth-shattering about that. And I just, it's really sad, like, being in America where it's, like, factory farming and pesticides are, like, the norm. And you go to these other countries where it's, like, they don't even have to market the fact that it's local or organic. Like that's just like, I feel, I totally feel like our food system is just so broken where it's like, we have all these local farms 
around us, yet we're importing stuff from like across the country or across the world sometimes. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. it's just so broken. But I, I'm always super inspired. I'll go to like another country and I'll go to the farmer's market, and just buy whatever looks cool and like bring it back to wherever I'm staying and like cook it and just, yeah, it's just so cool. That's like my favorite part about traveling. No, I hear you. Was, I mean, our our food system is definitely very industrialized. Yeah. And people now, more than ever, are so out of touch. Oh, yeah. Um, Just with, with the food supply. Yeah. Right? You know, and it's even in, in restaurants and kitchens where it's like your steaks come in boxes, you know, and it's- Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really easy to become out of touch with yeah, a lot of sure. that. So, um, yeah. but I, I remember traveling, I, I went through one of the markets in Spain and I was like, by the end of it, I was pissed. And my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I mean, this is like the greatest market ever. I know. I mean, they're not even, they're, they're not even trying. This is just, this I mean, is this is daily Tuesday. life. Like imagine you can get, go out there whenever you want and just, yeah, I went to Spain too. I went to Barcelona yeah. and like the same kind of thing where it's just like. Why isn't mm-hmm. the U.S. like this? Like, the, oh, the U.S., we think we're so great and the most everything industrialized country. Better. Yeah. And it's everything, it, it's oh, local. it was just so much better. I mean, it hasn't been just, sitting on so the shelf more, for a month. Like, it was vibrant. Yeah. Um, it was grown to be consumed right then and there. It wasn't yeah. engineered so that it oh, looks yeah. pretty. On so that, yeah. the store counter. So that it can or, go you know, from the farmer to the distributor to the distributor's distributor to Cisco to the to the grocery store, finally to your like it's just yeah, direct. Yeah. Oh I, after that I was just like, man, like I, I same thing. I was just like, this this sucks. I, I know, like, right? I always great, feel that way too. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this why, is great. Why can't but we have this? I know, right? Yeah, it's like how come where I live, the farmers market's two hours a week, and I I can't even make it to it because it's a it's at a time yeah. where like if you have a regular job, you can't go to the farmers market. So it's already at kind mm-hmm. of this place of privilege where it's like, oh, are you free at 10 a.m. on Tuesday? If not, too bad. No farmers market for you. <laughs> like. Too bad yeah. if you're in the working class, like so. It's like, well, yeah. It's, and some of them too. It, it, they're not even really farmers markets. It's, they're not. It's more like cottage, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know where it's like, yeah. There's twelve booths set up, but six of them are selling soap. Uh, that guy over there is maybe doing honey. Yeah. You know, you know, and you're just like, okay. And that guy's selling some vegetables, but I can tell by the boxes they all came from Mexico. Yeah. You know, it was like he was just reselling stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm just it, and I see that all the time and I'm just like man, what what how far have we gone? Yeah, I know, right? Um so let's talk about books. Right? So outside of your book, what is your go-to book when it comes to the culinary world? Kitchen Confidential. That book inspired mine. And I was going back to that time in 2019 where I was deciding whether I wanted to work in restaurant kitchens or not. I think a turning point for me is I read that book. Um, And then that kind of helped me seal the deal. Um, I know a lot has changed since that book came out, but I think a lot of it is the same. Um, Just the Mm -hmm. overall, like, the, the things that no one wants to talk about, like, for example, the well-done steak thing with the, um, 
save for well done and the, the things that no one wants to talk about <laughs> or like I know we talked about fish on Monday but I feel like that's different because I mean for us I'm like we get fish on Mondays so Monday is honestly one of the mm-hmm. best days but like this was back this is in New York in like the year 2000 so it's like things have changed but I'm like you know the things that we don't talk about about how like oh yeah we don't wear those stupid chef hats those are just gonna get burnt and whatever <laughs> and talking about like you know stuff that most chefs would be nervous to talk about because it's kind of like maybe a bit unhygienic or like, you know, the old, ugly, gross steak. Yeah, we're going to serve it. <laughs> That's well done. <laughs> and it's just like, just all the things. And then the chapter that he spends kind of talking to home cooks about like, you need to buy a good pan make sure that when you when you hit someone over the head with a pan, you know, their head is going to be the one that suffers, not the pan or whatever. And like buy a good chef knife and like all this stuff. I really enjoyed that chapter. Just kind of giving, just giving the inside information about, about our world and just putting it into, into words that I feel like all the restaurant cooks think, but don't know how to say. Yeah. That was definitely almost like the beginning of a generation, you know, where he started giving, those cooks, the voice, because it came out. I'm trying to think because I mean, the food network came out before it a little bit or right around. I think they were pretty close. And, and honestly, like the food network for me, I absolutely hate that, that show. I don't even watch it. <laughs> people ask me all the time. I'm like, I, I, I don't even know what's on it. I know. Um, right. Same. <laughs> because it is all just engineered for entertainment. There's yeah, for nothing. Sure. There's nothing about that that relates to I anything know, right? that I've ever done in my life. It's funny because I have a whole thing about how I tried out for Hell's Kitchen, but that's another story for another day. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I've the stories I've heard from that, like they the, the producers have control on the gas. So they will okay. intentionally like turn off the oven. Or then they'll just to, crank it I, all the way up. That's funny that that wasn't brought up, but I've, I did an interview with a Hell's Kitchen chef like last week on live, but I have to ask her that because <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I heard about that or they'd switch out your salt for sugar. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was just like, it was all just done because I, I've seen some of those shows where, you know, the, the chefs that are all involved in them, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of those, they have to be able, they have to sabotage them. Yeah. To actually make, make it entertaining. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, man, I mean, for me, like there's no way I can handle that because I would just fly off the handle. Yeah. But that's what they want. I I would be one of those (laughs) chefs that, that would just fly off and just like, I'm out of here. So, um, yeah, I couldn't, I, I couldn't do that. So outside of Kitchen Confidential, are there any books that you read um, to study up on different cuisines and cultures or um, just food inspirations? Yeah, I definitely, I've, ever since I went to Israel, I've been on a, I've loved Mediterranean food. So I've, I've read, uh, one of my favorite cookbooks is Zahav by uh, Michael, I don't know how to say, Solomonov, Solomonov, but it's a Israeli food cookbook, which I really enjoyed that book. I, I like how he's a professional chef too. And he, he's a executive chef and had his own restaurant that he owns. So he had a couple tidbits in there about like kitchen life, just kind of like in between recipes and stuff, which I thought was really cool. Uh, and also just that 
the fact that I feel like that book is kind of like, if you're a beginner cook, I wouldn't recommend it. I feel like as a professional cook, I, I could do the recipes in that book, um, and really understand the techniques and stuff. But I, I was like, I'm not sure if this is the book for beginners. (laughs) And then, um, I have a couple other, just like good, solid foundational books too. Um, my boss gave me the food lab, which is really cool. It's kind of just science and like, why things work the way they work and like all these different tests of like we rested a steak and then we didn't rest the steak and we tasted them side by side and we did this and I'm like it helps you understand like why like they did like there's this whole chapter just on steak and about like dry aging and the science behind that and so I've done I've I've yet to read all of that book because it's literally it's like a thousand pages or something (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a, a reference book too. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. I'm not going to read it cover to cover, but it's kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. like I want to do this, so I'm going to look and see if they have anything about that in there. Um, and then what else? Um, and then I do have a couple other recipe books that I've had for like years. I had this like gluten free, dairy free, like kind of recipe book written by Daniel Walker, who has like autoimmune diseases, and so she like physically for her life had to avoid certain foods, but I learned a ton. Like I eat all of that stuff now for a while. I didn't, but like now I do. And I still do a ton of recipes from those books just because they're like good food. Like it doesn't matter if it's gluten-free or dairy-free or, and like, even when I have, now I have to cook for those people who have those allergies. I'm like, I'm still gonna make this really good food. I get that. I got to look into that one. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely not because I got those books like before I was even a professional cook um, and definitely her audience is more home cooks. But um, I I personally like as a professional cook, like some of the methods and stuff like I'm like, OK, like this is the, this isn't some like mommy blog. <laughs> I feel like there's this whole world of like mommy blogs out there. <laughs> and I feel like she could fall into that category. But I'm like, but the recipes are like legit and I really like them. So. I gotcha. Yeah, there are quite a few of those out there. Yeah. I think it's called Pinterest. Oh, yeah. Website, ladylinecook.com. Um, yeah. All spelled out. Yep, just ladylinecook.com. Yeah. Um, and that's the same as your Instagram handle. Yep, um, same as my handle. Book. Yep, and then your book. Yep, it's also on ladylinecook.com, um, but it's mm-hmm. the title is Nice Work Boys by Hanley Souza. It's available, yeah, ev- everywhere books are sold, uh, but the best place to get it would be ladylinecook.com. I sign it for free if you want. Um, I can put stickers in there too. So that's the best place to get it. And thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you on how we're doing. And lastly, if you'd like to be on the show, Go to InsideThePressureCooker.com and fill out the form. It'll tell me a little bit about you, some of your story, and how it applies to the show. We'd love to hear from you and love to have you on the show.